stand out from the crowd? Are you looking for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else? Sign up for the shoulder of Orion Patreon at bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support and show the world you're something special. The following audio entertainment is brought to you by the kind folks at Tyrell Corporation, reminding you that civil registration isn't just common sense, it's the law. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. This is Patrick, and tonight myself and Dan Ferlito are beyond excited to bring to you our long-awaited interview with veteran character actor and J.F. Sebastian himself, William Sanderson. Before we get started, a couple of quick notes. Uh, We are so thankful to his wonderful wife, Sharon, who helped arrange this interview. Uh, Mr. Sanderson is an incredibly busy actor, evidenced no more so than by the fact that in the middle of our recording, he was also appearing on an episode of American Gods, which is just one of those coincidences that, you know, it's just so cool. Um, One other quick note, since we recorded this interview a few weeks ago, his book has actually been released. And you should pick it up. It's called Yes, I'm That Guy, The Rough and Tumble Life of a Character Actor by William Sanderson. And it is available on Amazon, anywhere else you might want to go. And uh, I can't wait to read it. I haven't been able to start yet, but I have ordered it, and I'm super excited, and I hope you'll join me. So uh, once again, thank you to William Sanderson for joining us. And without further ado, here is myself and Dan Ferlito with the interview. born in Memphis, grew up around Elvis, that's how old I am, and uh, I happened to have gone in the Army at 18, got out at 20, uh, finished college four years, and for some reason went all the way through law school, never took the bar, but went straight to New York to do theater, and I guess you could say my life took a wrong turn. (laughs) What was that decision like to not take the bar exam? Because you'd done all the work to get to that point. What made you decide not to? Well, by the third year, I never was at the top of the class, but by the third year, I uh, wasn't wasn't in love with it, but I knew how to study better, so I did some plays, and that's where I had so much fun, and I thought, well, I should finish anyway, and I got the GI Bill, so, but once I started the plays, I just really loved them, and there were no, you know, not, not a lot of girls in college and uh, army and law school, but around the theater I met them, and uh, it's, there's more to the story, but I'll do, I'm just too long-winded. <clears throat> it was, uh, I didn't have a talent for the law, and it didn't bother me that I didn't take the bar exam. I thought, I thought it was a good credential to have. Once I asked a young friend, why did I go to law school, and she said, Insecurity, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's certainly true about me to this day, but, you know, my friends became famous doctors and lawyers and Al, Al Gore's chief of staff, and I was surrounded by bright people. And, uh, I, you know, at one point I thought it would be noble to save a life, 
as a lawyer, but I've not wanted to do anything but act since 1970. Well, I, I, uh, I'm going to let Dan jump in here in a second, but I, I just want to say something quickly that I, I think, and I, and I really mean this honestly, that you have saved lives because Blade Runner as a film has become so important in such a deep way to so many people. Um, and people have written into our show and they've said that, you know, connecting with other Blade Runner fans has helped them deal with depression um, and has helped them feel oh. like they're less alone in the world. And I think that, I mean, your, your work obviously expands well beyond Blade Runner, but because this is the Blade Runner podcast, I can speak to that personally. I think your work on Blade Runner has probably actually saved lives after all. So, uh, Well, you're very kind to say that, but maybe <laughs> Philip K. Dick or Ridley Scott, especially his visionary nature. And But it's lovely to be in a cult film, and I thank you as far if if he's ever caught. I think sometimes making people laugh is a valuable social service, but I don't know. Totally. I still question why Ridley Scott cast me, but not not too much. <laughs> well, I don't think uh, anybody else in the community questions it because I think your lo- your role and your performance is is beloved, and and I can speak to that as we're online all the time talking to fans and interacting with them. And um, you know, we we put out a comment saying that we were going to interview, asking for people's input on what they would ask you if they could be on the call, and we got oh. you know. 50 yeah. plus responses and so people are definitely interested to hear from you and uh you know i just rewatched the film last night and i was of course specifically paying attention to your parts and uh and it it never gets old to me you know it's really wonderful to see your performance well, I, I, th- I thank you and uh uh and congratulations on the success of your podcast Thanks. Yeah, we're just trying to, yeah, we're keeping the Blade Runner flame alive. And, and of course, now there's going to be, you know, potentially they might make a third movie eventually. There's comics, there's an anime series. So it's definitely a, a big community that's still active. But before we get into that, I, uh, you know, I'm a former, I, I'm a former Marine. I'm a veteran myself. And I, so oh. first of all, First of all, I'd like to thank you for your service, but it's always nice to make no, the back at you. But as well. we can still be friends. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, the Army and the Marine Corps always have a fun uh, rivalry. But I wanted to ask you really briefly about your. Um, so you were a combat medic, right? That was your experience. Yeah, that was it. But even though my brother went to Vietnam twice, I was in from seven. Uh, I should ask you when you were there, right? I was uh, sixty-two to sixty-four, and. Uh, they didn't call me, but uh, I would have been if, uh, you know, I, I put myself down and said I was just a medic, and I had, I think his name was Colonel Hackworth or something. He said, we love medics, but, <laughs> you know, what was your what was your MOS? Uh, yeah, air traffic control, and I actually do that now as a civilian as well. I work at San Francisco oh, Airport. Oh, wow. So That's that, great. That, I got thrown into that. I had no idea. I didn't pick it. They just kind of typical military stuff. The recruiters had picked it for me. And I, I when they told me, Ferlito Air Traffic Control, I was like, what the hell is Air Traffic Control? Oh, that's great. <laughs> you, made, you made it worthwhile. And uh, that's, congratulations. You know, Thank you. Yeah. Important. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, we have veteran listeners, of course, and I, and I think that there's a there's a big connection there, and it's always good to, you know, uh, remind people of our experiences and, you know, who was lucky and who was unlucky, but, you know, it's it's a it's a great thing to have experience with. So, um, yeah, again, I just wanted to mention it since we're going over your history and your background. You gave me goosebumps. I'm proud of you and, <laughs> well, and the you. other veterans that are listening. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's wonderful. I'm I'm loving this connection. This is awesome. Um, I, uh, I I wanted to ask one other kind of um, 
sort of biographical thing before we get into your films proper. So you went to New York after mm -hmm. you after you got out of law school, and you did theater, correct? Yes, yes. And as uh, many places I could, yeah. But I bartended to make a living. <laughs> oh, nice! Many people in that position. What made you go to L.A.? What was that all about? What was that decision like? To go to L.A. Yeah, and to sort of focus on film as a as a next step. Oh well, I I thought that New York was the best place in America to do an apprenticeship, and I like to think that it was because that's the way I went. And but after I got a three or four independent films, a PBS film, a little stint on a soap opera, a mentor, producer, writer said I needed I should go to L.A. before they became stale. He said so. I went there, and it took a year or so to get going, but with the help of Joseph Wambaz, I don't know if you remember that writer, and a few people that put me in their projects, I uh, uh, was fairly lucky, I think, over the years. If I answered your question, it was because I was told, my agent always wanted me to wait till he opened the franchise, but he, I went because... Uh, a producer told me that I should have gone. It should go. Because he felt that you had, you had something special. Well, I had the footage to show people, you know, if you have an agent and they, you want them to work for you, you want them to have seen something or to show the producers something. Right, right. For instance, uh, the Ridley Scott and I got along great, and he said, oh, do you have any footage on yourself? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm okay, but the producer might want to see it. Michael Dealey. So my dream was always to do movies and TV. And, and and you actually did a perfect transition to what I was about to ask, which was Blade Runner was, was pretty early in your career, um, all things considered. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that you kind of landed this part that's gone on to become part of film history, you know, so early on. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. And what was that transition like when you read for Ridley and got to know, you know, Michael Dealey, et cetera? What was going on in that time period? I had a couple of films, uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, and a few, a little momentum uh, going. But I had just finished a movie of the week based on Scared Straight, the documentary that won an Academy Award, and I played a supposedly a tough prisoner who frightens the kids into straightening up. I heard what you said, Fruitcake. What the hell do you think this is? You think I'm your social worker? You think I give a rat's ass what you got resolved? So when I went into audition, I thought it's just another meeting. Uh, I didn't have any great expectations, but uh, and you know, usually they'll look at what you did. It's always a surprise when they give you something very different than what you did before. So Ridley Scott was a joy from the beginning. Of course, a young casting director brought me in, but Ridley went into a private room with me and talked. But you asked me what was going on. I had some momentum going on, but uh, didn't know that, eventually, you know, when it came out, it was a disappointment, but ultimately it turned out okay. <laughs> right. But but you say you got along really well with Ridley. What was What was he like? What was that working dynamic like? Well, he's just easy to talk to. Uh, when you're in the room by yourself, and I might have read it with him, frankly, he said, did you read the book? And I said, no, scared to death. At that point, he said, well, I didn't either. I <laughs> but, uh, you know, he certainly uh, was inspired by it, and I guess 
people's a writer and Fancher, Hampton Fancher, and they came up with something. But uh, it was, uh, I, I don't know, it was just, I, I like to think it was Providence. It's a gift. Well, it's funny because usually when we talk to people who have had some sort of interaction with, with Ridley at some point, I mean, obviously he's a genius and um, somebody whom we have just endless respect for. But a lot of people have, um, you know, say things like he's sort of, uh, can be difficult to work with. He'd be kind of stubborn, a little bit abrasive. It's so nice hearing this other side of, of his working dynamics. And, and I, I feel like the fact that you understood each other very well um, probably is, is part of why Sebastian feels like such a part of that world. He just feels like he just fits into it like a cog in this sort of, like he's a perfect part of that environment. It doesn't feel forced, you know? So I feel like you guys were kind of operating on a similar wavelength, and, and you can see it on celluloid. Well, oh, thank you for that. But I uh, I saw the tension around, and I saw the crews. They supposedly made up T-shirts, uh, and when they weren't moving at the speed that his British uh, crews did, I heard him say, it's basic, chaps. And uh, there were things that weren't perfect but he's tough you know when i didn't hit or i hit this emotion too early he's a tough taskmaster but his gentle directions in my ear were liberating for lack of a better way he said this is a totally innocent man <laughs> there's no such creature but i tried to absorb that but you know other people one one cynic said do you think he's innocent i guess he meant fooling with the genetic system, but he was like a toy maker, you know, like Geppetto, and who really wanted to have a son of his own, so he made a puppet or something. Pinocchio, I don't. Oh. Yes, home again. Home again, home again, Jiggity Dick. Good evening, Dad. fellas. They're my friends. I made them. I don't know. Uh, when I'm given a job, I try to listen to the director and ignore everything else, man. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, well, you know, it's funny how sort of serendipitous certain things about this film worked out, especially starting with Philip Dick and his sort of aversion to Hollywood, but yet we talk about this all the time, but yet he's had so many of his works made into film and TV. Uh, yeah. One of the most prolific. Um, and so, but it's, and it's interesting that famously his reaction to seeing the 20 minute clip that Ridley put together for him was basically like, how did you get into my head and create mm. this world that was, you know, not identical to what he was picturing, but it was so on point. And it's incredible that that happened from a director who I think he's gone on record as saying he had read, you know, he read a few pages into the book, maybe a third mm -hmm. or something like that. And then was like, mm -hmm. okay, I get it. Um, and you're admitting that at the time you hadn't read the book. So, but every time I watch your performance and we did an episode recently on do Android stream of electric sheep. So it's pretty fresh with us. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, there's a comic book that came out uh, about 10 years ago through the Dick trust and everything like that. And it's the exact, all the wording from the novel, but just in graphic form. And so oh, I have, yeah, it's really great. If you have time to check it out, it's a beautiful read and you're, you're reading the book literally. 
And um, what I found is that in watching, in reading uh, J.S. Isidore's character and then watching your performance in the film, like a lot of other things that Blade Runner, I found it amazing how you still convey, again, at the time, you may have only been taking direction or only reading the screenplay um, and not taking from the novel, yet the feeling of the character, the sort of um, the melancholy and the loneliness of the character shines yeah, through so yeah. well. Well, I thank you. I, uh, I Ridley has called it an adult cartoon. Maybe you've heard him say mm-hmm. that, among many things. So... Maybe that's part of where I fit in, but I don't know. Uh, he called it, uh, he said it was a 40, it's set 40 years hence, but in the style of 40 years ago, this film noir. So sometimes I, I recall things that he said or I read things that he said, but I was flying by, what, the seat of my pants, and uh, I thank you for the the compliments, but... You know, I'm, I have to remember, it wasn't a big role. I've gone into a casting director, loved what I did, and I've gone into an interview, and the casting director's just bragging on me. Did you see him in Blade Runner in this British direct movie of the week? He said, I saw that. Small role, right? I don't want to forget those things. A, a lot of people are jealous of Ridley. I've had people hire me because of him, and uh, I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't mind, but you, you know, you you said some nice things about me. I didn't, you know, I, the star was Rutger Hauer to me, and uh, of course Harrison Ford, and we had a great cast. I was very proud of the people I worked with. It's, it's funny course. that you say it's a small role because um, I, I guess in terms of screen time it, it is, but uh, I think most people know you probably through the New Heart show because you were on that for so long and it was so visible and it was such a great part. Um, and then there's sort of a new generation of people who know you through things like the HBO stuff, you did like Deadwood and True Blood. Um, but for me, even though I've seen you in those things and, and even though I, I always enjoy your performances, Sebastian just feels I- like... Um, such an iconic character, and I you see fan art. I mean, have you have you seen all this stuff? Like people make you know paintings of you. They they draw this character all the time. Like he he has a real. He's gone on to have this kind of a separate life as just yeah, this we've spent, idea. We got we got some. Excuse me for interrupting you. Yeah, they're no. on Instagram and Facebook or elsewhere. But he said it. I didn't say it was a small part, but. You need that because flattery, uh, let's say you believe all the flattery you hear, from, such as that casting director who brought me in, and uh, it's self-deception can thrive in the compost of flattery. So I've had people <laughs> say that I'm self, uh, self-deprecating to the point of absurdity, but it's easy to feel self-important, you know, and I like to remember you're only as good as your next film. I'm 75. I, can we curse? Better. Yeah. Not. Oh yeah. We you can. can. Are you kidding me? 75 effing years old. So <laughs> and I read about, I read about, uh, Mick Jagger, you know, <laughs> Mick Jagger. It, wor- it, it worries me that he was going to start on a tour. Now he's got to have that heart 
procedure, but I think that's less serious than it was, than it was first reported. He also has, I think, now a great-granddaughter who is older than his daughter in another marriage, I think, something like that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's got a slew of children. I don't know why I brought him up. I always think he's well, I was just, I was just reading about it this morning. Somebody drew his family tree, and I was like, oh, my God, this thing is like a, it's like a nightmare. Yeah, but uh, I date myself. But uh, anyway, they're, I call them great survivors. <laughs> That's sure. very true. It's, it's refreshing to hear someone that can, you know, there's so many Hollywood stars that get super self-important and bigger than themselves it won't give people the time of day and of course it was a sign that you would even agree to do an interview on something that's you know 35 plus years old and talk to us was certainly an, an inclination of us to know uh something about your character which is good so um oh, thank, thank you I, I hope i'm hearing everything correctly but thank you for it's a pleasure Um, I'm, I'm, I'm something that I'm just blown away by because Blade Runner came out before I was born, you know, and it was something that I, I fell in love with as a, as a child with the theatrical cut and then re-fell in love with, with the final cut in 2007. And now I've re-re-fallen in love with it as a result of this online fandom and of meeting these guys who are, you know, like brothers to me in this show. And, um, but before that, this movie existed as this sort of a dream. Like, it's something that to me has always felt sort of unreal because it's something that, um, you know, I wasn't there for the making of it, obviously, and I, but I wasn't even alive when it came out. So yeah. something that I feel like is really invaluable for, for us as a show um, and as, as a, a global fandom is just kind of hearing recollections from those of you who not only were present for it, but actually created it. And um, I'm wondering, do you have any sort of memories of the set or any kind of things that happened that stick out that, um, you know, things that, that have stuck with you through the years from filming it? Well, one thing, uh, I think Ridley said, would you like to see the set or something? I, I went in there and it was an entire soundstage. Now, that didn't all get in the film, but that doesn't often happen, uh, his apartment, the interior. The exterior was downtown at the uh, Bradbury building, but... So it was an extraordinary set, and uh, I remember seeing a clock, an antique clock up there, and Ridley said to the prop uh, girl, lady, uh, I wonder how much that would cost. Oh, that wouldn't be, they would never sell that. Well, just ask, would you? And uh, there were tons of things from mannequins to uh a pool table, which I later bought to have put in my living room, not that one, but and anyway, after the lady and went about her business, I said to Ridley, "Everything has a price, doesn't it?" And he said, "Of course." And I don't mean, yeah, Ridley had plenty of money, and suppose I'm going to give you a lot of money for that. But prop houses don't normally sell things. He knows that, but I like to remember that he agreed with me. <laughs> Everything has a price. Not a great story, but you said, what do I remember? I, a little bit, to make this uh, long story longer, I came back to do a TV show called Mike and Molly. And the whole 
entire show is set on that soundstage where it was all my apartment. So I felt, man, you know. On that same soundstage? I'm sorry? On that same soundstage where you filmed Sebastian? Yeah. Really? So nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody except my wife. And um, But it's weird. A sitcom, and they, you know, they lasted five years or so. I did a couple of them. Uh, I wanted to shoot the sitcom because I could walk, and there's a lot of bars between the soundstage and my townhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Prime location. Anyway, I'm sorry to make it such a long story, but uh, it was was a nice thing, the the, uh, set. For my character, yes, it really was, and and especially uh, your apartment or JF's apartment scene. Uh, of course, the whole movie has tons of detail and a lot of props, but that one is especially deep. Um, for example, I've recently rewatched the film on like a modern TV, you know, with like a 4K um, picture. Dan's and very when, proud of this television, by the way. This is this I, is his spaceship I, television that he has. But I don't bring it up to brag. I bring it up because if if you have if you have one or if you have the opportunity to see it on on anyone's on that type of quality, and you have a zoom function, I mean, I've zoomed into that room and looked at things that were like in the back room. There's those sort of monkey shadows hanging from the uh, chandelier in the other room. I mean, there's thousands of items in there it's just incredible the level of detail um, uh, you've seen more than i excuse me for interrupting you no, again, no. but you know um i'm pretty nervous when i go in there you know uh, uh so i don't i don't always absorb everything i'm i still fight the gargoyles of insecurity to overuse that word and you know and uh and there's always frustrating things when we're working that will make you that will uh, add to that nervousness. You lose things. For instance, in the script, I recall, I believe, I was supposed to die on screen. Mm-hmm. And Rutger Hauer decided that he didn't. it doesn't make him more sympathetic to make, keep killing people, is the way I heard it. So he talked Ridley into, we don't need another death on screen. So my recollection is he kills me off screen. Yeah, that's certainly, uh, and that's how the final cut especially but portrays I, it. I I die well. I've had a lot of experience, and so that's disappointing. And I didn't <laughs> leave. But, uh, you know, and, and Ridley is tough. He's no saint either. I talked to the producer, Alan Ladd Jr., when I was trying to get some footage for real, and uh, he uh, he doesn't see Ridley as the saint that I see him or I don't know if Alan Led passed away or not, Junior. But uh, for my money, Ridley Scott was a saint, and <laughs> I'll always be grateful. And Michael Dealey, the producer. I'm looking at a letter he wrote. Can I read it? Yeah. Sure, okay. of This course. is really pitiful, but it'll balance out my uh, putting myself down all the time. You have made <laughs> Sebastian work beautifully, and Blade Runner is a better picture because you're in it. Sincerest thanks, Michael Dealey. Oh, he wow. said, my dear Bill. But I'd, that thing has been up here for because I was working on the book, and I never used that. But it's uh, the man made uh, Deer Hunter, and he did a lot of things. I told the producer at the end, thank you. Uh, six months from now, I'll still be worried about remember, thinking how I could do it better. He said, six months, six years. 
try 37 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny that you, you bring up something that I think a lot of us who are not in the film industry um, overlook, which is that, you know, we, I mean, we've had almost four decades now to obsessively rewatch this movie and to take every detail in. And it, it comes to us as a fully finished, you know, product, like I was saying earlier. But for you, like you were in the middle of I mean, for one thing, there's a fourth wall missing, so there's there's that simple fact. It's not it's not a real environment, but also like you know, there's booms there. There's people running around. Your your makeup is getting applied. You're having to make sure that you're hitting your lines and you're in the light and everything. So like, there's all these other things going on. So for you, it's probably a pretty quick experience. And and it's funny that you know that quick experience lives on at infinitum and has been recut into seven different versions and, and countless, you know, fan versions as well over the years. It's it's interesting yeah, how time kind of dilates, you know? I'm, I'm glad that Ridley could uh, get closer to what he originally wanted. But the makeup, I wore two hours worth every day. So it was all right till it got hot. They were behind in the June, July, early July, I forget, started to sweat. So, but... They don't give those parts to uh, character actors that often, so I'm I'm grateful. Sympathetic, I, I'm, they were I wasn't getting that. I wasn't getting more sympathetic care. After that, I got a lot of more variety of roles. Right, but like you were saying, your, your role before that was as a as an angry prisoner, right? Yeah, the one I just <laughs> shot, and another right. one was an escape convict from Huntsville, Texas prison. Sissy Spacek and a moonshiner and, right. and um, in uh, coal miners, but daughter and, and a convict with James Woods. and uh, Yeah, just, but uh, most, a lot of the characters I played were a bit of an idiot, but, you know, I always kept the money and it wasn't difficult, so I'm grateful. Right. Um, just a, a, a very quick question I wanted to kind of just slide in there. You, you mentioned the makeup. And uh, I, I know in, in a lot of ways, uh, it's I think part of why it stood the test of time is because it's not like a prosthetic makeup. It's not super involved, and it looks weirdly real. Can you just tell us a little bit about sort of you know the, how how you guys developed it and how the application process was and what it was like to well, act under it? All right, you didn't. This is not what you asked, but he was supposedly twenty two, but looked forty something. But a guy named Pete Altabelli Altabelli uh, did the makeup and he painstakingly did it by hand latex as i said for a couple of hours and uh the famous makeup man gets a credit uh, but i'm not saying his name he didn't do the work Pete did and and before we move on from the character really briefly uh we, you know, we've 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 seen the physical appearance, and you just mentioned the makeup and the aging. Uh, I'm curious, and if, and if you don't remember, that's totally okay. Again, we understand how long ago this was, but um, did you take anything from? I, I'd like to get a little bit more into your head about um, how you looked at the role, other than taking Ridley's direction. Did you take anything from your personal life in terms of trying to interpret? I, I tried. I, I write a little bit about it in the book. Uh, you know, okay. he had a thing called Methuselah syndrome or sure. premature aging. And I had seen a kid come to L.A., I think it was a news account, uh, and he looked at least 60s, pushing 70, very wrinkled skin, but he kind of walked on the balls of his feet. And uh, I tried to use that, and I liked the image of Einstein, you know. Lord knows I'm no Einstein, but those were things I thought about. If that's not too boring. Uh, no, no, not at all. 
and uh, uh, what else? Uh, but I really had a number piece of direction. But one, when he whispered, "This is a totally innocent man," I thought that that I was going to try to make him innocent. But Ridley has told people funny things. You know, they tell me they said, "That's him. That's him on the screen." You know, like like I'm not acting. And I mean, he. I think he meant it as a compliment, but. That's not me. <laughs> right. No, no, but... no, no. We don't want to. You got to draw. Even Johnny Depp says, "I don't, I don't, I don't know about his quote." But you draw on yourself. But the beauty is that it's not ourselves. You're pretending to be new people. I think embodying that character, you know, and really transforming yourself into him is probably what people see, which I definitely think uh, uh, shows shows in your role is that. As I mentioned, I, I first saw the film when I was a kid, and huh? Sebastian has was always the character that I was rooting for as a young person. He felt to me like he wasn't... Um, he felt to me like he was a fully formed person who existed in that time and in that place, and, um, and I felt so strongly that he deserved happiness. And I think part of that is because he is existing in a world where happiness is so hard to find mm -hmm. and because so much has been taken from him and yet he still has love and he still has empathy and those are two things that you know are in such short supply in los angeles of 2019 so i just wanted to kind of just share that personally as a, as a child and also as an adult but especially as a child i i was always i was always pulling for you and and that character oh, was very personal so special am i talking to patrick or dan this is patrick <laughs> oh Okay, Patrick, thank you. But, you know, um, my head's swelling a little bit, but uh, I'm just, <laughs> just a character actor that got lucky with that film. Why do you, William Sanderson, think Blade Runner has such a rich legacy? Oh, boy. Well, I guess because I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, and Daryl Hannah and Eddie Olmos and uh, Rutger and Harrison and Oh, James Hong. Wasn't he great, man? Did yeah, he was. Did yeah. you talk to James? Not yet, no. And then and a, a lot more names that escape my old age self. But I don't know. I don't know. Because a lot, you know, the famous uh, critic called it a fascinating failure. And uh, But it, it, I believe that uh, his vision kind of came true. A city on overload, uh, L.A. with the New York skyline, and people, I saw them downtown talking gibberish, and uh, the machine, it, this intellectual answer that I had uh, not capable of coming up with, I just, uh, I think a lot of his vision came true, and is coming true now with robots and things. Sid Mead, a great uh, production that did, I believe, the production, Dine, uh, 
Jordan Cronenworth who shot the film, mm -hmm. but it was Ridley's vision. He saw everything and the layers of things. I think most filmmakers uh, nowadays could only hope that in the long run, at least, even though it may not have an immediate financial or commercial success, I think most filmmakers would are inspired by Blade Runner, especially if you're doing science fiction. Um, and I think most of them would hope that they would be able to make a film that would have the lasting impact that, that Blade Runner has had. But yeah. um yeah, it inspired a lot, and they teach oh, you yeah. in architectural classes and stuff. But I know it, there are there are people that don't care for it, but uh, sure. that's okay. There's probably people that don't like Elvis, but I like it. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll ask one. So I wanted to just ask a fan question, since again we had, right. we asked fans to write in, and they understand. Obviously, we can't ask you all their questions, but something that kept coming up about the character of JF was. Um, what exactly was his relationship with specifically the two toys that are, you know, played by the, by the tiny people actors, um, oh, the bear and the Kaiser. There are mistakes that he made, you mm -hmm. know, he said, uh, they're my friends. I, I make them, <laughs> they're mistakes. You know, that's what Ridley told me. Okay. And Does so that answer it? kind of, yeah. I, I, I mean, from an, from a, from an internal perspective, did you feel like, did you feel that the character like loved them the way you would children or were they just like things? I, I think, I think so. We didn't have a lot of interaction, but I would, they, since they've told me and I've thought about it and, and they keep talking, they call him the toy maker. Uh, uh, I thought he was a genetic engineer, but those were mistakes that he made. And certainly the actors underneath were very sweet. So before we close, um, I, I just wanted to uh, a hear about what you have coming up, and also to say how much our beloved founder slash other co-host Jamie is uh, m miserable that he couldn't be here tonight. He was really looking forward to it, but he had to work. Oh, he, I, uh, yeah, I saw that you're going to have three. I mean, I saw three people involved. With right, Dave. right. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. But but he he uh, he was the one who was curious about the legacy of the film, and and that's something that we were all, you know, really. Um, Invest, invested in because this interview actually is going to be airing as part of our extended series called the 700 layer cake the cult of blade runner which is about um not only the the some of the production details of the film but how those things have propagated throughout fandoms and how online fandom has really sprung up and so um getting to connect That's with great great title but i think ridley called it that himself yeah yeah well oh, yeah, it's, it's a nod got. to him yeah. yeah but getting to connect with like a first-hand uh source like you is just it's just incredible so this is something that you know we're gonna take with us for a long time and uh thank you for that so all that being said um we i know you are finishing up a book right now and you also have uh, a film coming out relatively soon what are you up to what's next and where can fans keep up with the ongoing adventures of mr william sanderson well i i hope i can enjoy the space between now and deadwood coming out the 31st uh of may on hbo and that was a series that we did for three years for hbo and i have a fun part in it and uh, Timothy Oliphant and Ian McShane and a lot of wonderful actors Molly Parker and 
Paula Malcolmson are in it, and uh, some people call it one of the best westerns ever made. And then, uh, and th- those people are correct. I just want to say, oh, yeah, I loved it. And, and, and there's a show I did, and only because of Ian uh, cameo. I guess it's on the night at nine o'clock. But I had one little scene at the end called uh, American Gods. And oh yeah, I've been reading about that. Yeah, yeah the, the Neil Gaiman one. Yeah. Did, I just did the fourth episode, but uh, wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for Ian and Crispin Glover's in it and wonderful black actors there named Ricky Whittle. But American Gods, you think Blade Runner loses me? That, uh, what's his name, Gaiman, the writer. Neil Gaiman, that, yeah. That, yeah, that, that stuff is over my head. But it was an honor to be there. We shot it in Toronto. And uh, in the last 10 minutes of the film, if somebody's hard up, they can watch it tonight. Oh, well, you that doesn't make sense. You can cut this out. That's right. You're not airing it. <laughs> That's true. We're what unfortunately not I live. Air? Although it's happening as we speak. This is this is airing at 9 p.m. on the East Coast, you said? Oh, oh. Uh, well, you people go watch the end of that show for a thrill. Yeah. With a, with a tie on. He's, wow. he's called Bookkeeper. He may be a money a god of money. I don't know. The the other thing I'd like to mention in the book, it's called uh, uh, Yes, I'm That Guy, The Rough and Tumble Life of a Character Actor. And you should be <laughs> able to order it on on uh, Amazon at least four to six weeks from now. But I'm only looking at it this week, the final book, of the, uh, to see what the whole – for the last proofread. But uh, God willing, I'll still be alive, and it may be the stupidest thing I've ever done, really, writing a book. But I wanted to dig my own grave, and uh, you know, uh, it's just self-published, so we'll see what happens. Oh, I can't wait to read that. Yeah, me too. Is is this is this your first foray into uh, into writing a book? This is the first time you've done it? Oh yes, I'm no I'm no writer. I had to have a lot of help, and especially my wife. Thank you so much, Mr. Sanderson, for your time and for, for being here. Um, we can't wait to uh, to see what you got next. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you so All much, right, Mr. Sanderson. Have a great thank night. Thank you very much, William. We'll talk to you soon. No, thank you, sir. Okay, bye. Thank Take you. care. You too. To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.